Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Amen. Amen. Now, if you will pray with me. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations deeper than all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. The worse and more corrupt that the manners of this world are, the more watchful ought we to be against all occasions and respect nothing but the will of God. This comes from the study notes in the Bible that we did communion from. It was a 1599 Geneva Bible. It was a reprint of the Bible written in Geneva in 1560. So these words were written prior to 1560 when the, when the Geneva Bible was first published. 1560, 463 years ago, and the world was already experiencing corruption. Sadly, if you're a student of the Holy Scriptures, you can see by Paul's writings that the church and the world had begun to decay almost immediately after the cross of Christ came to its conclusion. And nowhere, in my opinion, do we see this better than in the first letter to the church at Corinth? Among the issues the church had were people claiming spiritual spiritual superiority over other members. And while this is a real fact that people are at all levels of knowledge and spiritual giftedness, the attitudes and the spirit behind it can either be uplifting to others or it can be helpful to others, or it can be very demeaning and nasty. This church and their treatment of others was toward the latter. And in a spot where it could be very uplifting and help others get closer to Christ, they were actually in sin. There were members abusing communion as well as we had talked about. And when it's addressed in later chapters, we hear of members eating and drinking and excess to the point when those at the end of the line came upon the communion table, there was no elements left for them. Meanwhile, the ones prior to the end of the line had eaten to excess and drank of the cup unto drunkenness, leaving none for others. So you need to really think about that. They weren't just taking a little bit of extra wine and a little bit of extra bread. They were eating meals off the communion table and they were drinking so much of the blood of Christ that they were getting drunk from it. There was also a myriad of sexual sins being practiced. One in which a man was having relations with his father's wife while a member of the church. All of this stemmed from people who refused to detach themselves from the world and commit completely to Christ. 
Those Christians, like many of us today, had a hard time shaking off the things of the world. In doing so, they brought the world into the church with them, with all the world's cares, with all the world's concerns, and with all the world's problems in tow. Those that stayed worldly, refusing to commit completely the doctrines of Christianity, brought in devilish attitudes, greed and gluttony, as well as the aforementioned incest and other sexual sins. These sins soon permeated the entire church, and this sinful behavior, once associated with their pre-Christ personas, were not only associated now with their new persona, but were also making a bad name for the church as a whole. Many of us during our lives have personally seen we have heard about, or we can point to a church who has a reputation that was directly influenced by the people who attended in a worldly manner. Perhaps a known womanizer, still reeking from the stenches of the world, is going to walk into this church. There, his unrestrained <clears throat> sin is placed on full display. Instead of him being confronted in his sin, Church discipline being practiced and the offending member told to repent of his sin and turn to Christ or be forced in the church, the church and its leadership turns a blind eye. Soon, others are being influenced by his sinfulness. The church's obvious stance that the sin is acceptable allows others to become sexual miscreants themselves. In due time, as Christ is shoved from the church, being replaced with the sin, the church becomes known for being a synagogue of Satan instead of a church of Christ, a house of worship. Now, what once was a place of learning and spiritual growth, anyone with half an ounce of spiritual integrity won't come within a mile of. The church splits begin to happen. Split after split, after split after split, until the church can no longer sustain itself and the doors must close forever. Or perhaps it's quite the opposite. And I think we see this more than we see the first alternative. The second alternative is, is the devilishness is allowed and it draws in more devils. These Quote, sermons become more pick-me-ups to make the congregation feel good and righteous in their sin. That sinfulness then becomes the identity of the church rather than Christ. And barring anyone like the Apostle Paul coming in with authority and calling out the sin, the church is going to do little more for its members than pave the road to hell. A nice pretty, beautiful walk into the bowels of eternal damnation for many. So the question is here, why did you start out with a couple of verses from Ephesians and then go right into talking about the church at Corinth? And the reasoning is simple, because Scripture testifies of Scripture. And there's no better way to make a point than to allow Scripture to back up Scripture. 
What Paul was writing about to the church at Ephesus was the exact thing that was happening in Corinth. Prior to our verses today from Ephesians, Paul wrote, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. The church at Corinth was having fellowship with many, many unfruitful deeds of darkness. So much so, in fact, that Paul had to address these deeds in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians when he wrote that these deeds were, quote, immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, end quote. In other words, the deeds allowed in the church, the deeds that were being allowed in the church would not be allowed among the Gentiles in the world. Not even the world would allow the sins and deeds of the church to happen in the world. They would not allow these sins and deeds, again, that the church had allowed. And not only were they allowing it, they turned a blind eye to it. Seeing this happen in Corinth, Paul needed to stop anything that may be happening in a similar vein in his other churches. So he wrote concerning this issue to the church at Ephesus. He wanted to express to the church that they are to have nothing to do with these works and even go to the point of rebuking them and throwing the offender from the church if they wouldn't repent, if need be. Church discipline would need to be a very real thing. Many people in churches today have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about church discipline. Nothing. They have no idea. Church discipline is that if you see somebody in sin, that you go and talk to them. If they don't repent, you bring someone else. And you talk to them. First, actually, should be two the first time. I think there's a third person the second time. If they still won't repent from their sin, you bring them before the church. The church gives them an official admonition. And then if they still won't repent of their sin, then they're thrown from the church. In several places, it is considered turning them over to Satan. To That maybe if Satan were to work his works fully in them, that they would see how bad that they truly are and then turn from their sin and turn back to Christ. That a life of sin is no way is it better than a life lived with Christ. <clears throat> so this church discipline would need to be a very big thing. If these works were seen in the Ephesian church, they were going to need to start eradicating the sin from the church. The church needed to be a place of purity, a place to worship Christ, a place to grow in Christ. He was telling them, get the sin out of your churches and out of your lives. These sins were not small sins. They were not minuscule sins. They were sins that would spit in the face of Christ. They were so shameful, in fact, that they shouldn't even be spoken about. They shouldn't even be spoken about, yet alone tolerated. But 
They were tolerated so much to the point that Paul heard about them in another part of the world. In another part of the world, he heard how this church was acting. and needed to write them a letter admonishing the sin and telling an entire congregation that it must stop. An entire congregation. Failed leadership had brought about failed congregates. Realize this. An entire congregation was being so loving, so accepting, so tolerant, that they were allowing sin in their congregation to thrive. Not only allowing it to thrive, but thriving to the point it was reshaping their congregation from the image of Christ to a sin-riddled cesspool of the world. Too often, too often, Christians are willing to compromise the church and their beliefs to get along with the world. And this is what was happening at Corinth and what Paul was warning the church at Ephesus about. At some point, these churches needed to, as well as the church today, and each individual person, such as ourselves presently, need to as well, awaken to the stark reality of life as a believer in God and in Jesus Christ, that you are either going to live for the world or you're going to live for Christ, Amen. either or, and you have but one chance to get it right. Both cannot fight for contention in your life. Both cannot be continually at odds within you, within your life, within your homes, within your churches, within your thoughts. At some point, you must make a stand either for Christ against this sinful world, or you must take a stand for the thoughts and views of the world against the church and ultimately against Christ himself. Jesus will be one of two things in your life. He's either going to be a liar or he's going to be Lord. He cannot be both. Either he is what he says he is, or the world is what it says it is. The Bible is either all true, or it isn't. It's not a book we can choose to disagree with on this point or that. To disagree with Scripture is to disagree with Christ, and to agree with a lost and spiritually dead world. Let me read that again. To disagree with Scripture is to disagree with Christ and to disagree and to agree actually with a lost and spiritually dead world. Are you awake to this reality, brothers and sisters? Are you striving towards Christ or asleep in the arms of the world? Are you standing up for scriptural truth or still straddling the great divide between Christ and the world? We live in dark days and times. This is a fact. We've all watched the news. We all see the world. We've been out in stores. We've been in traffic. This world, this world is evil and dark. And we live in dark days and times. The closer we get to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only light you will find in this world will come from the pages of Scripture. You will not find light in a world set on self-destruct mode, nor will you find light in many churches or many Christians who have allowed the unfruitfulness of the world to invade their lives, to invade their homes, to invade their theology, 
to invade their everything to try to accept the unacceptable or secure a place in an unsecure world. Sadly, the definition of light has been changed over the years by this unsecure world. As we all know, society has changed. We're moving away from the morals and commands of Scripture. Morals and commands that used to be all over. Morals and commands that originally were chiseled in stone. To a set of morals and commands that are fluid and ever-changing. Fluid and ever-changing toward the likes and dislikes of the world the likes and dislikes of a society of like-minded people, while remaining hostile toward the true light of the world that is Jesus Christ. Accepting of everything, like the church at Corinth. Accepting, that is, until their now-accepted sin comes into a head-to-head confrontation with the Word of God. Then, they are not so accepting of God's Word, and then they must pervert it to permit their sin. And we have seen this many, many times where sin that is called out by the scriptures as sin, the scriptures are then taken out of context to make it look like the sin is no longer sin. Mm -hmm. Paul wrote that once we have seen the light of the true Christ fully, when the veil has been lifted and we see the difference in the morals and commands of the world, and scripture, that we must watch our walks. The church of the Corinthians didn't fall into the state it was quickly. You know, like one that suddenly has a rug ripped from beneath their feet, but rather they were led into the spiritual decay slowly, allowing, now hear me, they were allowing their morals and commands to be rewritten from the inside out. The fear of man overtaking the fear of God, until a precious vessel that should have remained unstained by the world bears little resemblance to Christ. Rather, one side of the church door looks no different than the other side, as the dust and dirt of the world now coats the marble floors of the once immaculate house of God. We as the body of Christ must slam this door shut. The church can no longer be stained by the outside world. We must stop the outside world, their morals and commands from ravaging our walks with Christ, ravaging our homes, ravaging our churches. Some of you must stay burrowed into Christ. For others, you need to get back to the Christ of the Bible and away from the stains and influences of the world. You must give up trying to be accepted by the lost and realize that you look like a fool to them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us this. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us that are saved, it is eternal life. To those perishing, you look like a fool to believe in God. Hear me, you look like a fool to the world when you believe in God. You're going to be mocked, scorned, laughed at, harassed, abused. And most of the time, it may not be to your face, it may be behind your back. And even if you hear about it, and know about it, and realize that you must continue on. You must continue the walk. You must continue the fight. You must continue to stand strong at all costs. And walk as one who is wise. 
You may not feel wise. You're not going to certainly be treated or looked at like a wise person, but by taking a stand on Scripture, Scripture that is accurately exegeted, not the stuff that is taken one verse at a time and the meaning completely stripped from it to make it mean something else, but accurately exegeted Scripture, you will be walking with the wise. The world is not your friend. Remember that. It may look like it and act like it, but the world is not your friend. As a Christian, it never will be your friend. The world long before us, now listen, the world long before us received a man born of a virgin. He was the holiest man that ever lived. To those who believed in him and his message, he was the doorway to eternal life. To those in the world, he was a fool. He spoke foolishness to them. He acted foolish to them. To the world, Jesus Christ. To the world, Jesus Christ was another fool in a long line of fools who had tried to tame the world's momentum, a world spinning out of control spinning till, still to this day out of control and rocketing faster and faster towards the return of the man they thought a fool, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I will not claim to know when that day and time is. I'm not even going to bother to venture a guess. But what I will tell you is this. Every day that we are alive, every day we live, we are getting closer and closer. And knowing this, we must redeem the season. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary, which is a great dictionary because it has a lot of scripture in it. The 1828 Webster's Dictionary gave the definition of redeemed as to liberate or rescue from, the, from captivity or bondage. Paul had told the Ephesians, recorded in writing for our benefits now, that they need to awake from their slumber, turn from the world and their sin, and go to Christ. As they were going toward Christ, they were told to walk in the wisdom of the scriptures in all aspects of life. Walking as those saved by grace, not as fools, but walking as those saved by grace and redeem the season. Redeem the season. To rip their walk with Christ away from the influence of the world to liberate their walk, to rescue their walk. If their walk, if your walk has any connection to the world and its morals and commands, you must fight to liberate your walk from the world. If not, the world is going to hold on to you as if it has the end of a leash. It's not going to allow you to walk away fully. You will remain captive to the world you will remain floundering in the cesspool of the world. You will be unable to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Rather, you're going to use all of your energy fighting against the leash. That ultimately is going to wear you down, and then it will wear you out, bringing you into submission and bondage once again to a system, a list of morals and commands that are nowhere near the law of God written on your heart nor anywhere close to the Christian walk the blood of Christ calls you to. The days we live in are evil. 
Evil surrounds us on all sides and in all areas of life. If you are mired in the evil, mired in the darkness, you'll have trouble seeing the light. And without any light, life lacks hope. Without hope, without hope in Christ, life is going to lack purpose. With no purpose in life, we quickly surrender to the evil that seeks to control us. The darkness surrounds us and lives and lives within us and once lived with hope, excuse me, lives once lived with hope give up in outer desperation. This darkness is going to try and control us. As Christians, it cannot be in us, but it will try to control us from the outside in. It's going to surround us, and our lives once lived with hope give up in utter desperation. And this is why we must redeem the season and why we must liberate our walks. We must walk in the wisdom of the scriptures. We must realize that the reality we see is, in fact, not reality at all. But rather, the reality that we see is a series of lies strung together to form a false reality. The reality is that the days may be evil, but many, many people are not. The world is a dark place, but in fact, there is light all around us. The days may be evil, but we, through the power of God, even in this evil world, can redeem the season. Amen? Amen. We may be in a world, and we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have the same Lord and Master as the rest of this world. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, the days are evil, but that doesn't need to affect our outlook on the future. Despite what we're seeing in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns. And at some point, when he has seen enough, he will come back to claim what is his. Amen. 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 The world system is set up as a series of moving goalposts. And by this, I mean that the world and the worldly system sets us up to fail. We see lives live that say, if only. If only I had a better job. If only I had a godly spouse. If only I had more time. If only. If only. If only. Yet, when the if only comes about, the goalposts move and a new if only comes to rest in the old if only spot. And a prime example is when people say, if only I had a better job. And by that, they usually mean better pay. They seek and they find a job with better pay and they're happy for a season until the better pay has brought about greater wants and needs. Then the goalposts have moved. And a new, if only, has taken the place of the old. In the worldly system, you'll always want more. The goalposts will always move. You'll always work harder to achieve more. And at the end of it, at the end of it, nothing that you worked for in life will accompany you to the grave. Nothing. There is never 
in the history of mankind been a U-Haul that has been behind a hearse? Never. You come into this world naked and alone, and you go out of this world just as alone. Nobody's going to be there standing before Christ with you. Nobody's going to die with you. It's up to a man to do his own living and his own dying. Many have laid upon their deathbeds full of regrets of how their lives were lived. Their unmet goals and dreams. Their missed opportunities and lost loves. And as their lives progress from the wants and expectations of youth to the looking back of, of a life lived, and as you get into the older age, you look at a list of if-onlys that has changed dramatically. The if-only-I-hads the if of youth are replaced by the if-only-I-had-nots of old age. The decisions made in life as one reflects back, and you don't have to be 80, but you could be 30, 40, 50, 60. There's just some decisions that you made because of uh, if only. That as you look back and said, you know what, if I had only not. Life is full of changes on so many levels. Jobs change. Friends change. We, lo we lose those dear to us. And we march through life, a life that's nothing more than a gauntlet of highs and lows. And change comes. Sometimes the change is welcome. And more often than not, more often than not, the change isn't welcome. But you know what doesn't change in this world? God and God's word. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. In Psalm 102.27, the psalmist writes unto God, You are the same. And these are just a few examples in Scripture about how God and His Word never change. God has never changed and never will, unlike this world. The God that created this world is a God that said it is finished upon the cross. The God who is worshipped in Acts is the same God who is present here with us today. The same God that we worship in song. He doesn't change. He won't change. And because of that, you can put all your faith, you can put all your hope, and you can put all of your trust in Him. God has set His law before us. He's changed our hearts to hearts of worship. The one God who is the rock of our salvation must also be the foundation for our lives if we are to redeem the season. There are no surprises with God. No ups and downs, no highs and lows. God is unchanging and all-knowing. He always is, always was, and always will be, as Scripture says He is. Whatever is changing around us, is us. It's us in our lives. It's not God. What we are dealing with is a societal issue. 
society is dictates dictating the course of the church rather than scripture just like what was happening at corinth and what the ephesian church was being warned against it's no surprise to anyone who's been a devoted Christian for any amount of time that the issues of the church at Corinth haven't ever really left Christendom. The world has tried and tried and tried to turn the flow of the church away from Christ and settle the spotlight upon itself. In many instances, I'm sad to say it was successful. In many places of worship, the humanistic policies of the world that have come into sharp contrast with the teachings of Scripture have led to false conversions to a false gospel and at times whole denominations being split over the acceptance of sin sin that scripture denounces we as christians need to be solid enough in our faith and in the scriptures to know what sin is and call it out when it comes into the church if the church of a, as a whole does not get back to the practices of old instead of latching on to every pet doctrine of the world the perversion of Christianity will continue into the next generation. Uncontested by those who sit in the pews weekly, allowing the world to rearrange the teachings of the church to support its cultural leanings. With that being said, let's revisit the 1599 Geneva Bible study note that read, The worse and more corrupt that the manners of this world are, the more watchful ought we to be against all occasions and respect nothing but the will of God. Where do you stand today? Are you asleep? Paul said to the Ephesians, If you are asleep, awake and rise from the dead. If you do, Christ will shine upon you. Do you walk in the scriptures? Do you walk in the wisdom of the scriptures as one who is wise? Or are you being slung to and fro by the ever-changing tide of the world? And finally, I ask you this. Are you making the most of your time, or are you just living life? Has life gotten to the point where it is in a constant battle for your attention, and your constant focus is on the cares and concerns all around you? As your spirit shrivels, your spirit shrivels from malnourishment and emaciation, slowly shrinking, slowly shrinking its way to the point that one last uppercut from the world will have you out cold, flat upon your back, your very last thread of fate, severely shriveled and hanging, but by one string, or perhaps severed completely. Severed completely with no recourse but to adapt the, if you can't beat them, join them attitude of the world. In the last two verses of this section of Ephesians, Paul gave us two ways to combat the attacks of the world. The first is, don't be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is. Many have trouble discerning his will, but it's okay. It is okay. You may never truly understand God's will in every situation ever, but you can understand it enough to not be foolish. You can understand it enough to not allow sin to infiltrate your life, your home, or your churches. You can understand it enough not to allow the world a foothold. 
Because a foothold allowed to the world is foolishness to those who try to live as people of the book and will in due time spell disaster for your walk with Christ. The second one was to be filled with the Spirit. This can be done many ways that we've previously went over in the last few years. The thing is, to be filled with the Spirit, you must be engaged with God and you must be engaged with Scripture. It needs to take the very first place in your life. No ifs, ands, or buts. But you need to be vigilant on this. To begin to shy away from this is the beginning of starving your own spirit. And, much like starving the body, will not allow you to fight, neither will starving the spirit. You need to follow God if you're to get the eternal reward of heaven. You will not get it by being a good person or attending a church service. You must be awake and alive in Christ. And that's the bottom line. You must seek God and follow him closely. Otherwise, the world is going to step in between you and him and divert your attention away from Christ. It is past time to become serious in your walk. Nations are being destroyed as we speak. Lives are being destroyed as we speak. Churches are being destroyed. Fate is being destroyed. But you don't have to be. You, you can be awake to Christ. You can be awake to Christ and foolish to the rest of the world. Walk in all his ways and live. For as Solomon wrote in Proverbs 25, Like a trampled spring in a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. Stay pure, brothers and sisters. Follow Christ and forsake the world. Be awake and storm your way to the gates of heaven, hot on the heels of the Spirit that guides you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.